Welcome to Violet Sessions, a podcast for women about culture, creativity, work and lifestyle. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. We're recording at Violet Bakery in East London and I'm here with Claire Patak, owner of Violet and co-founder of Violet Sessions. Today we're going to be talking to Mariah Nilsson, director of the J.B. Blunk Estate and co-founder of the Permanent Collection. Raised in Inverness, California, Mariah studied architecture before becoming a curator at the Museum of Craft and Design in San Francisco. These days, she splits her time between London, where she lives with her husband, and California, where she manages her father's estate and is planning some exciting exhibitions and projects around his legacy, which we are going to speak to her about today. So here's Mariah Nielsen on Violet Sessions. Hi, Mariah. Hi, good morning. How's it going? Good. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Great to uh, be here. Just admiring your amazing jewellery. Yeah. Who is it? David Clarkson. He's a local jeweler in Point Reyes Station, the area where Claire and I are from. Yeah. I'm Total wearing, character. He is a character. And I'm wearing his um, two of his gold bangle bracelets, which were a gift from Alex Parada. Oh, so nice. he's such a good friend. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I feel like you guys are talking about places and people that you both know well, and I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> we're going to bring you there, though. You'll have to come. It's a special, special place where we were both born. Yeah, born actually. and raised. Yes. Um, how do you know so when have you known each other your entire lives yes we have actually there's about what is it four years between us yeah four or five Um, something like that something like that just a few (laughs) years older there's just a few years older so when we were were growing up you know she was the cool older girl so she didn't have much to do with me in Vaness in Vaness California about an hour north of San Francisco yes did you go to school together well, Same school, West Marin. I went to Waldorf school for a few years and then transferred. I went to a Waldorf school. To you. Very cool. I loved it. And then I transferred in sixth grade, which is like middle school to the local school. So I was gone by then and you were gone. to high school. And then we went to yeah. the same, same high, high school, school but, but at different times that's right. as well. And then moved about a 10 minute walk away from each other in London. So basically, I'm shadowing Claire. <laughs> <laughs> slowly, slowly trying oh. to keep up. <laughs> Now, what's it like growing up there? What does it do to you as a person? Well, I mean, I can't imagine, especially for you, Claire, as a mom now, in terms of raising a child. But for, for me, it was idyllic. I, my father, the artist J.B. Blunk, built our home by hand. And so I grew up in this entirely handcrafted environment in the woods uh, with wonderful friends and community, close to the ocean, great food. It was absolutely Ugh, ideal. Gross. Sounds awful, But right? then, then you become like, what, 14, 15, and all you want to do is get the hell out. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I was really looking forward to leaving. Yes. You moved to Japan? I did. I did. I moved to Japan when I was 16. Why was that? I was a teen model, and I had been working locally in San Francisco with an agency in first spree, and I wasn't tall enough to go to Europe, but the Japanese really liked me. Mm-hmm. And my dad had lived in Japan in the 50s. Uh, he was first stationed in Korea during the Korean War, and then ended up being discharged and moving to Japan and working with two Japanese national potters, national treasures. Your dad, that was your dad? Yeah, my father. Yeah. So he worked in, and lived with these two potters in a very rural area south of Tokyo. And the country left a deep impression on him, and he came back to California in the 50s, steeped in this tradition, this culture. He spoke the language, and his art was absolutely informed by his time there. So when I grew up, our home is very much inspired by Japanese architecture. 
I grew up with this father who always talked about Japanese culture with a reverence, and so I wanted to go. So what I was it this. like when you went there? Did you feel like you could understand it better no. than other people did? <laughs> I mean, the film Lost in Translation is such a perfect encapsulation of mm. my experience there. I mean, I wish I hung out with a guy like Bill Murray, but it was <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was such a surreal experience. I felt extremely isolated and yet very sensitive to the place and to the people, so I took as much in as I could. Do you think you understood how much of an impact it had had on your father at that age? Or is that something that you've kind of you know what's discovered later? I, I discovered that later. I discovered that this last November when I went back to Japan after 20 years. I went back to Japan for the first time for an exhibition of my father's ceramics that I curated at Blum and Poe, one of the galleries that represents my father's estate. And I was in Tokyo, but then, after a few days in Tokyo, after the exhibition opened, my husband and my mom and I went to Bizen, this very rural area south of Tokyo where my father had lived and worked. And that was the moment that I finally understood what that place had meant to him and how it had influenced him as a person and as an artist. It was extremely profound. And we even were able to visit, we reconnected and visited the families that he lived and worked with. Now the grandchildren, for example, who are my age. It was really special. How moving. Yeah. How did you find being a model? It wasn't for me. It wasn't the right fit. Why not? <laughs> but it did. I, well, I just I, I didn't have the ambition to be a supermodel or even be a model. I just wanted to, to work as a model to make money to travel. I saw it as, as a kind of work that I could do that would allow a certain freedom and a certain set of opportunities that... Um, that I couldn't really have otherwise. And it's quite young to go yeah, travel by yourself really when young. you're 16. Yeah. Um, I know because you grew up as an only child. I mean, I know you have two half-brothers, yeah. but um, do you think that you're quite independent because of that? Or you yes, were... absolutely, absolutely. And I grew up, um, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I, I grew up getting to know my brothers in a way through the postcards and the ephemera that they'd send home from their travels. So they weren't really around, but I grew up with this... Um, impression of them as young men out in the world really enjoying life and having all of these adventures and I thought that's what I want to do so the idea of going to college wasn't at the top of the list the ambition was to travel and to see as much of the world as I could how do you find being on your own now I love it (laughs) I crave it I just got back from a 10-day trip in Italy without my husband sorry Max (laughs) So it's, it's so as often healthy though, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. As what much were you doing as I can. Um, some, some friends and I had finally realized this trip um, visiting Carlos Scarpa architecture throughout Venice, in Venice and then around Venice. So Carlos Scarpa is one of my favorite architect designers, Italian. He has an incredible series of projects uh, in and around Venice that we had wanted to visit for years. And it took us six years to plan this trip, and we finally made it happen. So it was fantastic 10 days of driving around, staying in little mountain huts and trekking to all these various projects and communing with his architecture. It was really special. And you studied architecture. I did. I studied architecture at the California College of Arts and Crafts in San Francisco. So that was 2000 to 2005. What made you want to study architecture? So after coming back from Japan, I studied art history at College of Marin, our local community college in Marin County. Fabulous school. Amazing. Absolutely loved it. So I was there for three years. I took loads of different classes, and one of them was art history, and the teacher focused on architecture. And that class changed my life. She was a wonderful teacher, super passionate, and she introduced me to the study of architecture as a field. And so when I was It's so amazing how you just need that one person. Yeah, it Absolutely. just took one person. Absolutely. Yeah. Deborah, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was 19, I wanted to travel again, and so I moved to Paris for a year and lived with our family friends and my godparents, Roger and Yvonne, in Paris. And while I was there, I did all sorts of weird jobs. I worked at a farmer's market selling bread with this expat named Jeff <laughs> who had made millions in the 80s and then bought a farm south of Paris. Oh I taught English at an English language school. And then I met this guy, Pierre Francois, who was friends with my godfather and was a set designer. And he had studied architecture in Belgium but had been working as a set designer for several years. He invited me to work with him and basically inspired me to, to study architecture. He was the main influence. So I went back to the US and applied for architecture school and loved it. I loved studying architecture actually more than working as an architect. As soon as I started working as an architect, I thought, you know what, this isn't the right fit. I mean, I know the computers are a part of our lives all the time, always. But it was just such a drastic shift in terms of sitting at an office and drawing an AutoCAD all day versus the super creative environment of the architecture studio in art school around all of these creative people, making models, drawing by hand. All of that shifted because of te the technology that we now have. So it was, um, yeah, after three years of working as an architect, I decided to shift. And that was when I set up the residency at my father's house in Inverness, the J.B. Blanc residency. Okay. So your father um, is this kind of esteemed artist, and but do you want to explain a bit about what, yeah. he, what he did and what he's known for to people who might not know? Sure. So my father, J.B. Blunk, uh, he's best known for his large-scale redwood sculptures, and he used all local material from Northern California where he was based from the 50s till his death in 2002. And besides making large-scale wood sculptures, he also made ceramics, jewelry, paintings. Um, he worked across a lot of different media. And the home, as I mentioned earlier, he built by hand in the 50s, and it's really his masterpiece. And that it's now is becoming a, a really, yeah, it's, it's becoming a, an iconic home in, in the repertoire of you know, design and art history. So it's a privilege to take care of that home and to manage the collection. But Claire's been there. You stayed two yeah. nights in the guest cabin that Max yes, built. Yes, and the guest cabin, yes. Um, I, I don't think that I really went up there when I was growing no. up in Inverness. It's more since our friendship has like really gotten much Is closer to the public? being here. We do offer tours occasionally, but it's still a family home. It really so, is their home. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like... Who lives there? Mariah. Me and my husband half the year, and my mom and her husband the other half. And then Ido Yoshimoto, a really good friend of, um, of ours, is the artist in residence. Uh, he's been there since 2013, 14. And he's a local artist working in my dad's studio. Mariah is one of the few people that has a, a home in London and in Inverness. I know. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> the dream. Pretty good. I mean, my home here is, you know, it's a simple place, but it works. <laughs> How... At what point did you become aware of your father and what he represented? That didn't happen until I was about 19 or 20. Um, you know, I think when you're younger, you just take what your parents do for granted. You're not really paying attention, and especially as a teenager, you want your own life, and you're trying to figure out who you are as an individual. So I didn't pay much attention to what he was doing. But uh, I think it was... I think it was the visit, Glenn Adamson came to visit my father in, I think it was 1999, 2000. And Glenn Adamson is a design critic, curator, and he was writing his PhD at the time and was focused, focusing on a chapter about what he described as the pastoral movement that my father was a part of. And he came to interview my father for the Smithsonian Archives. 
and I was helping my father with the interview because at the time he had dementia. My father was, was pretty sick at that point. And it was the first time that I had ever thought about my father's work in the context of design and art history. And it was really impressive. <laughs> All of a sudden I realized what an incredible man I had grown up with and how lucky I, I was to have witnessed him work and spent time in his studio and um, had a glimpse of his creative process. So that was really the beginning of my interest in his work. But it wasn't until... I'd say in my late 20s that I began to really focus on his work seriously in terms of managing the estate, writing about his practice, connecting with galleries, organizing exhibitions, all of the work that I do now. So what brought you to London? Graduate school. Again, Glenn Adamson. So Glenn was at the time head of research at the V&A, and there's a program called the History of Design and Material Culture. I really wanted to study with Glenn. I applied. I was lucky enough to get in, and I moved here and had a glass of wine with Claire when I first moved here. <laughs> Claire, were you already here? You oh, were yeah. already living here. I was already here, was yes, and I had and Violet was was here yeah. as well. Um, yeah, we just went to the Spursto across the street. I remember that. You so were delivering well. a Dosa scarf, which was that's l- right, a from gift from Christina. Yeah, from Malgosha and Christina. Yeah, Christina Kim. Um, that's right. Yeah, for a for a project I had done with her um, and Alice Waters, and then I was like, "You are not going home. You have to stay <laughs> in London, please, please, please." So, and I was experiencing such culture shock at that yeah. moment. So Claire was like a rock. Yeah, that was really helpful. I was like, "You'll just stay a little longer. You'll you'll." Uh, You'll get sucked in, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> How did you meet your husband? That's a funny story. We met through Wallpaper Magazine, which, um, let's see, in 2011, Wallpaper ran a story on the residency. And in the, you need to explain what the residency is, I think. Yeah, so the, so the artist residency I set up in 2007 with the Loose Start Foundation, a nonprofit that's down the road from our house in Inverness. And we set up a residency program uh, that was based in my father's home and studio. So we invited four artists a year to live and work for two months at a time. So they were able to really settle into the place and get a sense of the natural environment and the home and my father's work. And I did my best to connect them to anyone within the community that might be relevant for their practice, like printmakers, photographers, sculptors, etc. And I think we had about 22 artists that passed through the home in the seven years that we ran the program. And it was a huge success. It was wonderful. And then the year that I moved here to London to start graduate school, my stepfather was diagnosed with cancer and needed to be based in California. So we shifted the residency from my father's home to the Lucid Art Foundation down the road. Mm. Um, but, yeah, during that time, it was... So, um, Max, your husband. Yes, sorry wallpaper. to go back to Max. Yeah, go on. Exactly. <laughs> <I wanna> know. <laughs> so Wallpaper had run a story about the residency program. And as part of the story, they included a photograph of me and my dad's studio surrounded by very large pieces of wood with some power tools. And I was wearing clogs. And Max was flipping through the magazine (laughs) looking for his project because he had just graduated from the Royal College of Art. He had studied product design. And he was looking for his project that was featured in the same issue. And he came across the story. And a number of our mutual friends had actually been through the residency program. So he thought, ah, this must be the place where Martino went or Harry went. And then he saw this picture of Mariah, of me, in the workshop with the clogs and the tools, and he thought, who the hell is this chick? I didn't actually know this yeah. story. This is good. <laughs> it's really sweet. Nice. 
So he showed his friends in the studio and then put the magazine down and didn't think anything more of it until eight months later when Wallpaper had the annual party. I was invited. Max was invited. This is when I had just moved to London. It was in October of 2011. And I show up and I walk up to our mutual friend Martino, who's standing next to Max, and Max almost fell over. <laughs> he could not believe it was a girl from the magazine. And that's how we met. Uh, it's meant to be. Yeah. And now you live together in East London. Just down the road. Just three blocks away. Yeah, Hackney Central. So tell me how your day how, how your life works now because I know you spend part of the time here in London yeah. and part of the time in Inverness um, and you also have a company that you run with your friend Fanny here. Yes. How does all that work? Well, when I graduated in 2013 from the design program at the V&A I went back to California for about two months with Max and that um, that two month period reminded me of how much work there is to do on my father's estate and how difficult it is to do from abroad, from London. It's really important that I'm there on site. So I started spending time in California working on my dad's estate and what started off as a two month uh, annual stint turned into what now is about six months a year. And over the course of the past, what has it been, two, three years, Fanny Singer, a friend of, of ours, um, and I developed a project called Permanent Collection, which is a design brand. And the project is based on design classics. Neither of us are fashion designers, but we have backgrounds in design and art history. So really, it's a curatorial project where we select pieces that we think have um, a kind of value and style that will endure. And we reissue or remake those pieces. So it often includes collaborating with artists' estates, designers' estates, or contemporary artists and designers. That's so cool. Yeah, How's it's it been going? Really when did you fun. Launch, was it end of last year that we you launched? We launched in September of last year. Yeah. So it's only been about, what, six, seven months. So we're still in the very very early stages of the project. Is but it challenging having an online shop? Yeah. We, yeah. Just, we just had a five-hour meeting yesterday yeah. with our gaff designers talking about how to improve the website. And we have a lot to learn. We have no background in marketing or business, but we're learning. Just a lot of passion. Yeah, which is what it takes. Yeah, yeah. And some of your father's um, pieces, jewelry has, yeah, has exactly. So my dad's and, and ceramics. Yeah, so my dad's work has been a really important part of the first few collections, and that really helped establish the um, so collaboration you sell, you with artists' estates. Replicas of his work. Yeah, um, so we're not. It's interesting. There's a there's a there's a debate about copies, replicas. Um, oh really? Yeah. I the whole can of worms. Yeah, no, it's good. It's really really good. So what's the difference? Well, in the in our case, we're we're never trying to copy something per se, mm-hmm. but we're using the original piece as a starting point and referencing it. And in the case of my father's ceramics, we actually cast the original ceramics, but we're not using the same material. We're using white porcelain, which is a material that my father never ever used. So in a way, it's like the combination of uh, you know English tradition and California craft. So the white because porcelain. Because he dug up the clay from yeah, from where you live, right? Exactly. Yeah. All of all the clay that he used was sourced locally, mm. literally from behind our house or the local beaches, whatever it was. And the original cups are really brown and earthy with gold glazes and dark blues, whereas the permanent collection set is very muted and minimal, simply white. So there's um, a, there's a resonance there, but yeah. they're not exactly the same. Your mom has an online business as she well, did. right? She did. She did. She doesn't anymore. She sold the company about oh. five years ago, but I she was, started a company called Koyuchi, organic cotton bedding and bath products. 
that's the one that she sold or she's she sold one? yeah so have you learned stuff from her she's on our board you betcha uh, <laughs> she is involved this is a powerhouse she's a power woman she's yeah. yeah do you think that incredible. she having a mom who had set up her own thing made you want to do the same thing yes I, I kind of there's a moment where I didn't want to admit that but yes <laughs> <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> Yeah, I owe her a lot. She's been a, a role model in many, many ways. Very independent, very driven, um, passionate about her work, avid environmentalist, a pioneer. You'll actually, I was just thinking about the aesthetic of um, your the stuff that you sell, and kind of the aesthetic of Violet as well, Claire. Mm. Actually, um, and it's kind, it, it's a Calif- It feels quite Californian, yeah. and it's quite fashionable at the moment I think would you agree there's a bit of a zeitgeist looking at your stuff you know Mariah was researching you online and a lot of the pictures of the websites that you've been featured on they're so they're so amazing light airy lots of natural materials a lot of sunshine yeah I I definitely think there's a heavy interest in California right now which is great I am not complaining no I know it's good for business And, you know, rightly so. It's an incredible place. Mm. It's an absolutely amazing state. I think that there's Los Angeles and San Francisco and everything in between. Um, it's rich. Well, it's a rich also, landscape. Yeah, and it's nice. Uh, sorry, Danielle. But it's nice to feel, too, that it's not just being co-opted, that you're actually, like, part of, um, you know, creating it or designing it or, you know, having a voice in it because... It's there's something about growing up there that makes you so fiercely like protective. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. so you don't want someone else to come to Inverness and do that. You'd like to be a part of that, mm-hmm. um, I think, and it's going to happen. Or you know, just but doing it and keeping it. You know, so I think you. What's uh, it? You know, as much as anyone can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And do you think a lot of that comes from your dad as well? I mean, I think mm. I feel like it's mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. style. It's informed your style, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. Both my both my parents' styles. My mom. I mean, I look back on photos of her from the seventies and eighties. She was so elegant, so stylish, mm-hmm. in an effortless way, very natural. And I think my both my parents' um, aesthetic, obviously, has influenced me. Yeah. Mm. Um, was it weird having a dad who is famous? And has it been strange for you? Well, you know, what's interesting is he wasn't necessarily famous when I was young or old enough to really be aware of his work. I think he had his peak in the 60s and 70s. That's when he was really um, at his best and the most busy. And then by the time, let's say like the 80s and 90s, um, his work had slowed and he had fewer commissions and he was working quietly away in Inverness. Mm. But it wasn't, um, for example, to compare to our friend Fanny's uh, relationship or experience with her mother who is yes. absolutely hands down a celebrity I don't think I ever experienced anything like that um, her mother my former boss yeah <laughs> Alice, Alice Waters, Waters. <laughs> yeah do you ever think about that it's weird just carrying on your dad's legacy is, is there kind of ideas of nepotism that float around your head or does no, that it feels so necessary and effortless and um and right, it feels like what I should be doing. And really, when I work on the estate, I feel like I'm working with my father. It's a collaboration, organizing shows of his work, putting together publications, taking care of the home. It's all a way of, of feeling close to him and being close to the work. 
It's so lovely because I was actually thinking when you were talking about it earlier that it's sort of like um, carrying on the family business mm. in a way. Mm. You know, it's like everyone's dream. You know, me, my dream sort of, maybe, <laughs> but, you know, for Francis to take over Violet someday. Um, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But, you know, that's what people, they build a business in the hope that their children will continue yeah. it on. And so yeah. I was thinking that that's actually what you've really done in, in, in a way that works for you. That's right. Um, and you've made it your own, which is really lovely. Yeah, that's that's been um, a little bit of the trick sometimes. But my, right before my father died, he asked me to take care of the home and always oh. make sure there was art being made on site. And that was really the impetus to set up the residency, and that's why it feels so great to have Ido on site making art and to have my husband Max there uh, doing his thing, and even my stepdad gets in the workshop sometimes. So all of that feels... Um, Do you think about having kids yourself good. and when they can, yeah. they can carry it on? Yeah, hope that happens. I'd feel really good. They're probably going to turn into like, corporate bankers. <laughs> They're going to be really into like eighties postmodern, yeah, art, yeah, exactly, artificial exactly. Art. Yeah, I feel like that's part Jacuzzi. of part of the part of the success of my parents. Well, in my opinion, success of the, of the way that my parents raised me is that they didn't put pressure on me to to do anything in particular. You know, they really let me figure out my life on my own terms for myself. And I've made mistakes and picked myself up and kept going. And having that kind of trust and openness um, I think made such a difference really grateful for that and what are the projects that you're involved in for the coming year around your dad's estate next year is going to be a really big year we have two exhibitions in California one at the Oakland Museum in the Bay Area and one at the Palm Springs Art Museum and then a book uh, about my father's work which is long overdue so that's really really exciting so all of that is kicking off in February and then carrying through to the end of 2018 so it's great. Looking forward to it. Well, this is a question that we ask um, all of our podcast guests. Um, but since we are sitting here in Violet Cakes in East London, we got to ask, what's your favorite cake? <laughs> Hands down, carrot cake. Nice. We do a good one. I, I know think. You do. do we? <laughs> I like it. I eat it. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mariah. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks thank for inviting you. me. It's been great. That was Mariah Nielsen talking to Danielle Radoichin and me, Claire Patak, on Violet Sessions. Please subscribe to Violet Sessions, leave comments, and follow us. We are on Instagram as Violet Sessions, and the show is a co-production of In Talks With and Wargi Productions. Thanks for listening.